Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Last week, we kicked off this series uh, that we're calling A Better Way. And last week was probably frustrating. Uh, I told you on the front side that it would be because basically I just raised a question and I never answered it uh, through the entire time together. I, I elevated this tension and I never released it. But the whole point of doing all that and really the whole point of this series is we're talking about how Jesus modeled a better way of living for us specifically. That Jesus modeled a better way even for us to like follow him. Uh, sometimes even in our well-intentioned like Christian activity, we can get so busy and so busy and so hurried and so wound up that we actually miss the point and we actually end up looking very little like Jesus. And so often in our pursuit of good things, it doesn't look like the way Jesus' life looked because we end up stressed and rushed and anxious and overwhelmed, but Jesus was never hurried. Jesus always had time for people. Even if they were interrupting him, they weren't interruptions to him. He slowed down and he made time for people. He stayed connected with God consistently, even though he had a really high uh, calling and a really important job to do here on the earth. He stayed connected with his heavenly father as well. And he invited us to live in the same kind of way. And so what we're talking about in this series is basically how do we line up the way that we live with the way that Jesus lived. And I wrapped things up uh, last week by reading Psalm 23 to you, uh, which is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And and what we said uh, specifically about the idea of rest and slowing down and not being so hurried is that you can make yourself slow down or sometimes God makes you slow down, right? Sometimes he makes you lie down in green pastures. And that can happen through all kinds of different life circumstances or situations. But ironically, I taught about all of this last week, and then on Thursday, about 3 p.m., I was like, I feel kind of cold, and it's not cold outside. And I actually went to Home Depot because something broke on my toilet, and yada, yada, yada. And when I walked outside, it was very hot out, and I was like, oh, that's so refreshing. I'm like, that's not good. And I got my car with the air conditioning not on yet, and I'm like, this is so good. And then I realized I was running a fever, and then I realized Eden had had something earlier in the week, my daughter, and she passed it on to me. And so I ended up down for the count for about 48 hours with a fever and a terribly sore throat. And so uh, God just wanted to make sure I got the message too, I guess. And what I learned doing that, day one wasn't so bad, okay? I mean, it physically wasn't awesome because I had a really high fever, uh, but it basically just knocked me out. So I slept from Thursday afternoon until Friday morning, like 3.30 to morning. And then when I woke up, it was so hard to force myself to rest because uh, I woke up and the fever was basically gone. I mean, I occasionally felt a little funky, but basically it was better. My throat was still sore, but otherwise I felt fine. And I was stuck. Like I know the right thing for me to do is continue to rest, continue to get better. Cause I had some stuff going on this weekend, but it was so difficult. Okay. Like it is so hard for me to stay put and to stay still. And I think all of us uh, kind of live in this kind of way, right? Where we're just used to the pace of our lives. We're used to going to the next thing and going to the next thing or chasing the next event or whatever it may be. And for most of us, for me included, I don't think it's like we ever intended our lives to look this way. It, it's not like we're like, you know what? I want to fill the calendar to the brim. Like if there is any downtime, make sure it goes away. Like we don't want that. It's more like uh, if you've ever been on a treadmill before, 
and you've accidentally set the speed to something you didn't intend to. Have you ever had that experience? That's kind of what happens in our life. And believe it or not, I have been on a treadmill before, uh, mostly back in college, okay? But, but uh, if you've ever been on these like, and you accidentally hit the thing and you, you hit the wrong setting or whatever and it starts to speed up, if you're on a cheap treadmill, it'll just launch you. Right, like you hit it too fast, it's like, okay, boom. But on nicer treadmills, like the ones we have around here at the YMCA and all that stuff, if you hit the wrong button, it just gradually increases for you, right? So if you're standing there and you're like, just doing a nice walking pace, and then you actually hit the like crazy sprint pace, it just revs up. And so you're walking, and all of a sudden you're walking faster, then you're like light jogging, and all of a sudden you're like, why am I sweating so much? And you realize it's because you hit the wrong setting. And if you didn't know what was happening, you wouldn't know it until it's too late. That's what happens in our lives. That, that's what happens with our schedules. That's what happens with the pace in which we live. Basically, little by little, barely noticeable at first, we just do a little bit more, and we do a little bit more, and we do a little bit more, and we add a little bit here, and we add a little bit there, and we get a little bit more efficient, and we maybe get a little more aggressive in the workplace and advancing our career. So we take on a job, and then we're trying to get even more and get farther ahead. So we take on another job, and then we've got some student loan debt, and then that car payment that we've got to handle, and then we get a girlfriend who becomes a wife, and then there's a baby, and then there's diapers, and then there's another baby, and then there's more diapers, and then there's preschool, right? And, and so it starts happening, and then all of a sudden it's like mom's day out, and, and soccer practice sign-ups, and ballet, and dance, and braces, and there's more kids that came from somewhere, and then you got to get a second job to pay for them, and there's more debt, and you wake up one day and you're just overwhelmed. It's like, wh when did all this happen? And it's like the pace just gradually and gradually increased, and I wonder... For how many of you, if you're like me, like on your own, you might say, yeah, I feel a little rushed, or I feel a little bit anxious or overwhelmed, and, and I feel like with all that I have to do, there's not enough hours in the day. Right? I feel like with everything that I need to get done, uh, there's just not enough time. So if you're like me, you try and just squeeze out a little bit more anywhere you can. Right? When you're in the grocery store, you're like assessing which line is the most efficient, because if you can get out of there, you might buy like five minutes back that you can do something else. Or, in traffic, right? You're, you're a Waze person. If you don't use Waze, it's an app that will tell you, like, where are all the cops? What's the best traffic flow? So you can pretend you're a race car driver while you're driving around and just, like, get to your destination as quick as possible. I, I get so busy, sometimes I multitask in the bathroom, okay? Like, you got your phone doing business while you're doing business? <laughs> Nobody? Just me? That's fine. I'll be real today, and if you'd like to join me, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll move forward together. But uh, the, the reality is it's not just being rushed. Right? That, that's bad enough in and of itself. But I think there's some of us, and I wonder how honest we'd be, that we might occasionally say, like, in the midst of this rushed pace that we find ourselves in, we're actually kind of disappointed with the way life's going. Like, we don't really like who we're becoming or, or how it's going. And because of the pace and because of the intensity, sometimes you have a moment where you do actually slow down and you think, like, is there something missing? Is this really what life is supposed to be like? Like, I have no time for the things that I love to do. I have no time for the people that I love to be with. And you might start to ask yourself, is it supposed to be this way? And, and here's the point today. Okay, I'm gonna give it to you early and you're gonna hear it often. But what if I told you that the greatest enemy to the life that you want might be the life that you're living? Like, I'm gonna say it again, because I think it matters. Like, the greatest enemy to the life that you really want might just be the life that you're currently living. And I've got to be honest today, uh, this I think is a very important message for us in this cultural moment, but it is a very difficult one for me to teach and preach on with authority because I am so bad at this. Like this is not my default setting. Um, I was just talking about how hard it was for me to even slow down when I had a fever and like naturally my body's saying, slow down, knock it off, I got to heal. Uh, it, it's 
I'm just not very good at slow. Uh, I've found it in drive-throughs in recent days. Not any one particular drive-through, like any drive-through in the past few years, I get in line and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and then I'm getting angry and then it's like 20 minutes. I'm like, I thought it was fast food, right? Anybody else feeling that these days? It drives me crazy. I've caught uh, that I've picked up this habit. I don't know if my dad did it. I don't know if I've just invented this for the next branch of the family tree, but I jingle my keys when I'm ready to go and I jingle them quickly, like often, like Ashley's doing her thing, trying to pack up all of Eden's stuff wherever we're going, because nobody told me kids come with so much stuff, uh, but it's just like, okay, we got to get this bag and that bag and pack up that thing, and, and I'm like, jingle, 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 right? Like, <laughs> come on, we got somewhere to be. We need, and I think some of that for me comes from uh, my saxophone instructor when I was uh, in high school. I used to play saxophone. I almost like went to do it professionally, and then I chickened out when it was audition time, but that's a different story for a different day. Uh, but I had a private instructor who I considered the Bobby Knight of saxophone instructors. He literally threw a stool across his living room one time because we didn't practice enough, so I'm not saying it was the healthiest environment, but I learned a lot from him. And uh, one of the things he always told me is something that I bet a coach or maybe a parent told you at some point along the way, it's that if you're on time, you're late, right? It's important to show up places on time. If you're on time, you're late. You got to get there early. You got to be ready. You got to be the first one ready to go, first in, last out. And so it's created this like pace in me. It just set this default setting where I'm like, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. And if you want me to spiritualize it, because I'm a pastor, right, so I can do that and make an excuse, it, the devil doesn't take a day off, <laughs> so neither do I, right? Like, I'll slow down when I get to heaven. There's important work to do. Hopefully you're not as dysfunctional as me, okay, but I would be willing to bet all of us in the room, we're a little busier than we want to be. Uh, the pace of our life isn't exactly what we want it to be. We've all got places to be and jobs to do and bills to pay and kitchens to clean and kids to raise and news to read, which is biased, so then it makes you really angry, right? <laughs> and then there's yards to mow and dinner to cook and clothes to buy and clothes to wash and clothes to wash and clothes to wash and then clothes to not wear and then clothes to go buy because you don't wear the clothes that you already have and then the photos to take and the captions to write so that you can post it and get all the likes and then the soul-numbing Netflix, ser Netflix series to binge out on. And then because of the pace of your life, you're just going faster and faster and faster and faster until you realize you're sprinting, just like that treadmill speeding up in life. And you realize like, man, I don't have time for some of the things that matter to me. I, I don't have time for some of the things I used to have time for. And like, we don't really do meals around the table as a family anymore. That, that used to be such a thing for us, but the pace of life has made it impossible. I, don't, I haven't really had a deep conversation with a friend in, in a long time because I've just been going from thing to thing to thing and, and I don't rest or reflect or read or really have a deep connection with my heavenly father because we don't have time. But then we look around and the good news, I guess, is neither does anybody else. Right? So we were like, well, it must not be me. Like This is just the way it works right now. If everybody's doing it, it must be God's will for this season in the world, right? That we just run and run and run and run. But again, I'm gonna put it on the screen again because I think it's so important. What if the greatest enemy to the life you want might actually be the life that you're currently living? That's why we're doing this series. It's called A Better Way because I believe that there is a better way possible and what we're trying to do is we don't just wanna look at the truth of Jesus. Okay, that's important. We wanna, we wanna listen to the true things Jesus said and the truth of what it means to follow him but we're also examining the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus loved, because the way that Jesus lived was actually intended to be a model for us. He wants us to actually follow him, not just with our heads, but with the way that we live our lives as well. And if you look at the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, and you take a step back 
it's kind of fascinating to think about the way that Jesus lived, even just as like a historical figure. He had an incredible impact on our world. Again, like remove the religious lens, just from a secular perspective. Jesus had this extraordinary impact, and he did it all in three years of ministry. That's it. He he spent three years of public ministry, and in those three years, he was laser-focused on his heavenly Father's mission, and so he recruited this team of 12 ragtag guys and taught them about something called the kingdom of God and what it looked like uh, to live out the values of that kingdom. He endured the hatred of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. He resisted the temptation of the devil. I mean, literally, directly, there's stories where the devil shows up and tempts Jesus. Uh, He healed all kinds of sick people. He loved all kinds of hurting people. He preached and taught the word of God fearlessly. In those three years, Jesus fulfilled 351 Old Testament prophecies, things that were said of the Messiah or the Savior of Israel. Jesus lived out those prophecies. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus never once ran. Jesus never once ran. If you read through the accounts of his life, there is never a record of him running or jogging or fast walking or skipping or sprinting. Jesus is really busy, but Jesus was never rushed. Jesus was really, really busy. He had a really important job to do, but he never ha- has the disciples do it. And he's like, hey guys, we're behind schedule, right? Come on, pick it up. We got to get going. Like, leave Thomas behind, okay? We'll, we'll pick him up next time. It's fine. We got to get going. They need us in Capernaum, okay? They need us in Capernaum at this time and we got to go. I don't care. Like, leave the bags behind. Jesus never did that, okay? Jesus never did that. He was busy with important stuff, but he was never rushed on the inside. He never once ran. And in fact, uh, I want to show you One small example, it's a phrase that's in Mark's account of Jesus' life. And it's a phrase that shows up actually across all of the accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, It's a pretty unremarkable phrase unless you stop and think about it. But it's this moment where it shows up. For us, it's Mark chapter 2 and verse 14. It's a phrase you see over and over and over again. But the phrase is simply this. It says, as Jesus walked. Right? Not remarkable. But as Jesus walked along. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Jesus walked. Not the Kanye song, okay, but like the pace of his life. Jesus walked. And here's the important part, specifically why I picked this example. Because again, all throughout the Gospels, it says Jesus walked here. Jesus walked there. But Jesus walked over to Levi, and, and he offers him this invitation. He says, follow me. And it says that Levi, the tax collector, got up and followed him. That that Levi got up and followed him, which means if Jesus is walking, Levi is walking. He's following him. If Jesus wasn't rushed, Levi wasn't rushed. If, If Jesus was unrushed and Levi followed Jesus, then Levi walked with him. He was living an unrushed life as well. And that made me think about us. And here's the convicting part, okay? If we follow an unrushed Jesus, we also should be living an unrushed life. That's the following part, right? He sets the pace. We follow him. And it is so convicting, isn't it? Because the way I live is so dramatically different than the way that Jesus lived. So if you're here and you are on the treadmill, okay, and you're exhausted and you're worn out and the pace is picked up beyond what you expected and you're stressed and you're anxious and you're just trying to get it all done and you feel like you're always falling short, Jesus has an invitation for you. He has an invitation for me. And that invitation is simply come to me. Simply come to me. He invites you to come to him if you're worn out, 
and if you're overwhelmed, and if you're burdened, and if you're tired of the way that things are, he offers to give you and he offers to give me something that a lot of us haven't had in a really long time. He offers to give us rest. And we looked at this passage last week, but we're going to pick it up again this week, and I'm going to read it uh, through the message translation, which is a contemporary English translation that was put together by a guy named Eugene Peterson. He basically went uh, to the original text as much as he could. He's a scholar in Hebrew and Greek, and he went to those texts, and he thought, man, how can I translate this ancient text into kind of modern, accessible language? And I love the way he did this uh, for this famous passage in Matthew 11. I'll just read it for you. Jesus says these words. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound like a good invitation? Like I would like to sign up for some of the freely and lightly if I could get a little helping of that. And uh, I love the language that Eugene kind of pulled out uh, of the text when he says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I was just thinking about the way that I tend to live my life, and there's a lot of real forced rhythms in my life, okay? Even like the good rhythms, like on the days that I do go to the gym, it is a forced rhythm, right? Like, the alarm goes off, and it's like, okay, I gotta go. Like, I set the clothes out early, because otherwise I won't go, and then I get there, and I'm like, I gotta actually stick to the plan, I gotta do the thing, and then I'm tired. Day two is always the worst, right? Because day one, you're like, I did it, and then you wake up, and you're like, I did it. <laughs> you feel it. But anyway, like, there's forced rhythms in our life. For most of us, the way that we try and make life happen is, right, we pack it all in, and we just try and force it all into the schedule, and try and go, 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 go. Jesus says there's an unforced rhythm that you can live in, and when I was thinking about an example of like unforced rhythms in life, uh, do you notice how much it rained yesterday? If you're like me, like I don't love being in the rain. I don't love when rain cancels my plans, but I have a porch on my house and I love the way the rain sounds, right? That little on the roof. It's like an unforced rhythm, right? I'm not making it happen, but there's just like natural thing to it. We talked about Psalm 23, right? He leads me by still waters. If you've ever sat by a body of water and like actually slowed down for a second, you can like hear it and just kind of feel it, right? There's this like unrushed, unforced thing happening. That's kind of what Jesus is inviting us into. It's not like strive and make it happen. It's not do more and be more. It's come to me and rest. Come to me and rest. He says, don't just believe what I believe, do that, but also live the way that I lived and love the way that I loved. And how did Jesus live? Here's a snapshot. He lived for 33 years and he had this calling on his life to be perfect and to save the world. No pressure, right? Uh, his mission was ultimately to give his life, and yet with that big mission in front of him from day one, he waited 30 years to begin his public ministry, just living life like a normal guy in the first century. He's a carpenter's son from Nazareth, like just doing his thing. 30 years of waiting before he starts his public ministry. And then he's baptized. Uh, God shows up in the midst of that. The heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. It's like this epic scene out of a movie or something. There's a big booming voice of God coming down. Probably sounds like Morgan Freeman. And the father says, this is my son who I love and whom I'm well pleased with. And that's an important moment. It's a little bit of a sidebar, but it's an important moment. God, the Father, shows up and says, this is my son who I love. 
before he ever does a thing. Right? He's just getting started. He shows up and he goes, this is my son who I'm pleased with. And God wants to do the same thing in your life and the same thing in my life. He, he looks at you and he's not like, hey, get it right and then I'll love you. He says, that's my son and that's my daughter with whom I am well pleased. And out of that identity, you should live your life. Not in pursuit of that identity, right? Out of that identity, that you are already a beloved son or a beloved daughter of your heavenly father. So God affirms Jesus before he publicly has done anything. And then Jesus is commissioned with the big mission, go change the world. He's ready to go out and do what he was created to do. And what is the first thing that he does? He takes a sabbatical. He goes off into the desert for 40 days with God and the devil, but that's a detail for a different day. He goes off and he does like the least expected thing. He's just off on his own, fasting, reading scripture, not really making anything happen. And then eventually he comes back from that. And do you know what Jesus' first miracle is? Jesus shows up at a wedding and the party's happening and it's great and things are going on. And then at the end of the wedding, at the end of the party, Jesus' first miracle is he turns water into wine. Now, I don't know if you've ever been at a wedding. I don't know if you've ever been, this is kind of an arrogant thing to say, but you've probably felt this before. If you've ever been kind of an important person at a wedding or a person that it's like, oh, they were invited, wow. If you've ever been in a setting like that, right? Or you're just like, man, my life is busy and you go to a wedding, a lot of the times what we do, this sounds rude, but we all do it, right? You show up, and you sit through the ceremony, it's beautiful, you might cry a little bit, and then you get to the reception, and there's always that like hour to two hours of taking photos, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, are we ever gonna eat? And then you finally get to eat, and, and then you, maybe you see the first dance, and then you're like, okay, let's give them the gift, let's say, hey, way to go, congrats, and let's get out of here, right? These clothes are uncomfortable, the kids are going nuts, like we, we gotta do our thing. We typically spend as much time as is respectful in settings like that, and Jesus is a big deal. Right? Jesus is a big deal at this wedding. I mean, there's so much promised about him. And he's hanging out there, and he sticks around to the end of the wedding. And all the wine's running out, right? And, and that means the party's running down. It's probably just family members at this point, because that's the way weddings go. And, and Jesus is like, oh, hang on, hang on a second, guys. Bring out some more, right? Like, keep the party going. Jesus' first miracle was to linger longer with the people there, to enjoy the presence of other people a little bit longer. There's another account in Jesus' life, uh, Micah Davis, who was with us about a month ago, actually shared about this account where uh, Jesus is on his way and a religious leader named Jairus finds him. And he tells him the tragic news that his 12-year-old daughter is sick and, and likely going to die. And he begs Jesus to heal his daughter. And so Jesus says, sure, I'll, I'll help, and starts heading that way. And then along his way, somebody interrupts him and Jesus lets it happen. Right, like li little girl sick is like four alarm fire in most of our worlds, right? But Jesus is like, hey, I'm on my way there, but what do you need? Like, wh what can I do for you? And so this woman stops him and, and tells him that she's suffered from bleeding for 12 years and she's just begging to be healed. And Jesus is generous to her and, and heals her in that moment. But as Jesus is delayed, the little girl dies. The little girl dies and, and the father, Jairus, is reasonably upset. He's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, I asked for your help and you didn't show up in time and now it's all over. And Jesus, unhurried and unworried, says, hey, time's in my hands. It'll be okay. And he gets over there and he heals the little girl too. And, and this like unhurried, unrushed pace of Jesus' life, it goes all the way down to his choice of transportation. Okay, because he's the son of God. He could pick 
anything he wanted to to get around in the ancient world. Like if I were him, I think I would at least rock a super cool like white horse that ran really fast or something just to show like, hey, I'm a big deal. Jesus picked a donkey, a walking animal. Okay, like have you ever seen a donkey hurry to do anything? Eeyore does not run red lights. Okay, they're just like poking along. That's the pace that Jesus chose. And here's the point of all of this. It's that Jesus was never rushed. Jesus had such an important calling on his life, but Jesus was never rushed, and we're called to follow him. And I think it begs the question, if Jesus was never rushed and his life was so important and so significant, if Jesus was never rushed in his soul, why are we? Right? Why are we all so frantically rushed and stressed out? And Listen, I'm not a counselor, Okay, so I'm not like really licensed to speak directly into the specifics of whatever makes you do the things that you do. But from my own experience in terms of my life and a lot of the people around me that I've interacted with over the years, in my experience, most of us set the pace of our life because we're either running from something or we're running to something or maybe a mix of both. We're running from something or we're running to something and that's why we run and we run and we run. And maybe if you're honest and you like drill down below the surface, you're running from a feeling of insignificance. You want your life to matter. And so you're running from that. You want people to know that you're productive and that you can make a dent in this world and you can make an impact and that your life counts for something. And so you run from insignificance and you run for acceptance, right? You run to acceptance. You want somebody to say, hey, you're valuable. You belong here and you matter. Maybe you're running from a past failure, Something you did that you know was wrong, you still carry the weight of, you still see the effects of in your life, and so you just go and go and go and go to try and make it right, even though that regret keeps running right along with you. Maybe you're running from something someone said about you, and those words sting, and you've like set out to show them that they weren't right, and so it's shaped the way that you live. You're running from an insecurity that you're going to overcome, you're going to prove them wrong, right? So you do the things that you do. Maybe you're running from a hurt or from abuse, or maybe for you, you're running to something. You're running to something. You've got the goal, you've got the vision, right? Like, I'm gonna get married to the most amazing Christian man, and so you're like on Instagram looking for him and praying or whatever. Like, I'm running towards success, and that's why I log the hours that I do. That's why I gotta stay a little bit later because it's the only way I'm gonna get ahead, right? Maybe you're running towards an image, and that's why you dress the way that you do and why you gotta maintain all that, right? Maybe you're running towards popularity, or running towards fame, or just running towards being liked. The problem for most of us in our world, and and again, I'm not immune to this either, the problem for most of us is we're running and we're running and we're running and we're chasing a life that still leaves us empty once we find it. We're chasing after stuff that ultimately doesn't satisfy us even if we get it, and that's why I ask, what if the greatest enemy to the life you actually want is the life you're currently living? And again, I get it. Some of you are like, okay, pastor boy, like that, that's fine. But I have a full-time job, okay? You're a pastor. You work on Sundays. Like my calendar's actually full. I don't have enough time. And okay, I hear you. I, I do work outside of Sundays if you didn't know. But <laughs> this is going to sting a little bit, okay? But this is true for all of us. And I think it's a little bit of the wake-up call that we each need. It, the truth is you have time for what you choose to have time for. Like you and I woke up today with the same 24 hours and you've got time for the things that you choose to have time for. 
we say we don't, right? Oh, if I just had a little more time, then I would go after that big thing. Or if I just had a little more time, then the house would be a little cleaner. Whatever it is, like, if I just had a little more time, you have time. You have the same time that we all have, and you have time for the things that you choose to have time for. And if that didn't hurt enough, I'm going to push on it a little harder, okay? Because the solution is not more time. The solution is more of what matters most. The, the solution is not more time, but the reason why most of us don't have time for the things that really matter to us is because of the amount of time we spend mindlessly on things that don't matter. And we are all getting sucked into it all the time, okay? Uh, I'll illustrate uh, with just a couple of like statistics that maybe illustrate where our time for many of us, for the average American, which are always like, not me, but it's kind of all of us, that's what the average means. The average American, uh, we'll start with social media. The average American spends around 706 hours a year on social media. Now look, that sounds kind of like a big number, but I'd be willing to bet you don't know how many hours are actually in a year. So it's like, what does that really mean, 706 hours? So to give a comparison, um, a traditional workday, usually considered eight hours, right? So if you divide 706 hours on social media by normal workdays, that is approximately four and a half months of your working hours that the average American spends on social media. You have time for what you choose to have time for, right? Like that, that time went somewhere, your energy, your focus, it went somewhere. And by the way, all the experts everywhere basically say it's not somewhere good where it takes us. And yet we're all on it. We're addicted to it. We're spending so much time on it. And if you're like, no, that's just the younger generation. TV is actually worse, okay? The average American uh, watches over 2,700 hours a year binge watching whatever show you're binge watching. Again, I'm not coming down from my ivory tower to tell you about this, okay? I was down for the count for a couple of days and I watched a whole lot of Star Wars Rebels because I'm getting ready for the next Star Wars show coming up. <laughs> like, I'm in this too, I've, I'm logging my hours. In, in fact, I'll press a little harder on, on me and my people, okay? Guys in the room, nerdy guys particularly like me. Uh, do you know what the average guy by the age of 21, how much time they spend on video games? The average guy, by the age of 21, spends about 10,000 hours playing video games. That's crazy, okay? I am probably that guy and don't even know it, but 10,000 hours, like, do you know what else 10,000 hours could have become? If you go like 10 bucks an hour, you could have had 100 grand. Or if you're like an average paced reader, you could have read somewhere around 2,000 books in that time. You probably could have learned to be like a concert pianist if you wanted to, <laughs> right? Or, or learn how to get your pilot's license, or I'll give you a church answer, uh, like the way that our memory tends to work. You could probably memorize the New Testament in about 10,000 hours. Who wants to do that, right? You could get your undergraduate degree and your graduate degree in 10,000 hours, right? And instead, like, I'm not anti-video games, okay? Probably gonna play some this afternoon. <laughs> but you have time for what you choose to have time for. And let's like take it out of the arena of like productivity and business and move it into the arena of relationships. 10,000 hours probably would make a difference in your marriage and that person that maybe you don't feel as close to as you think that you ought to. 10,000 hours maybe could help you reconcile that relationship with your friend or your family member that you haven't talked to in years over something silly that just became a big thing that now nobody will talk about. 10,000 hours would probably go a long way with your kids. You have time for what you choose have time for. You could have something that really matters or you could mindlessly waste it on things that don't. What if the greatest enemy to the life that you want is the life that you're currently living? 
And, and listen, to be clear, like, it's not always silly things like social media and video games and TV or whatever. It's not just entertainment that does this to us. I think for many of us, we get roped into pursuing what seem like good things so much that we miss out on great things. We get roped into pursuing what we think we ought to do as parents or as leaders or business people or whatever. We, we get so roped into what we think is good that we miss out on the things that are ultimately great, the things that we ultimately value most. And, and like parents, I'm gonna pick on you for a second, but it's out of love. And I get it, because I'm just entering into this season. Uh, but it's like student kickoff day and it's pop-up Sunday and we're starting a new school year and you're gonna set your rhythms and your routines. Oh, I mean, I just, I'm gonna like pastorally rant for a second, how crazy it drives me when I see like high school students in seats and then I don't see them on Sunday night or I don't see them in the seats even. Like I see them on Saturday and I don't see them on Sunday. And I'm just like, where are you? What, what are you doing? What are you up to? And you know what it is? It's like, oh, well, we've got a game right? It's, like, sports are like, crazy anymore. And I know you know it because you got to get them there, right? And it'll just eat your time. And I'm not anti-sports. I don't play them well, but I like watching them. Okay? <laughs> like you can fill up your calendar or your kid's calendar as full as you possibly, over full, right? Beyond what it really can sustain, whether it's extracurricular activities, sports, wh whatever it may be. And again, I get it, okay? I've got an almost five-year-old who wants me to coach fall soccer for her again. So that's gonna take time. There's practice, there's games, right? Uh, she wants to do ballet and she's in school and, and that's in Kokomo right now. So we gotta drive and I'm just like, we're sitting down looking at the calendar and I'm like, how do we do it all? You have time for what you choose to have time for. And, and for some of us, we've gotten sucked into a value system that's not bad. In, in fact, some of it's good. I think sports are good for kids. I think extracurricular activities are good for kids to a point. But when they're taking you away from like getting them in an environment where they can learn with their peers about who Jesus is in a way that they can understand in a way that can shape and define all those other arenas of life, when that's suddenly on the back burner, because you got this practice and we got that practice and we got that event and then there's a wedding and then there's, something's off. We're, we're, we're missing something. And, and again, I'm, I'm not immune, but you have time for whatever you prioritize. You have time to put first whatever you choose to put first. So what do we do with that? I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm working on it too. I don't specifically know what you need to do today in response to what you've heard, but the obvious starting point for all of us is to slow down. It's to slow down a little bit. Last week I, I mentioned the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a pastor and author named John Mark Comer. And uh, he wrote this line in that book that's really convicting. He says, love, you know, that thing we're all supposed to do, love like Jesus loved, live like Jesus lived. Love is incompatible with hurry. Because love takes time. And hurry doesn't have time. Right? Love takes time to invest in other people. Hurry doesn't have that kind of time. And, and so I don't know what will change your pace. I mean, I know you've made commitments, and it's a great thing to keep those commitments and, and all that. I'm not saying, like, quit everything tomorrow. But what if you joined me? Right, what if all of us, you say, hey, I'm a part of Story Church. What if you join me in starting to pray a prayer, something like this, that says, God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. What if you just started there? I mean, it seems pretty harmless, right, to just pray, to just ask, ask God to do that for you. I'll give you like a specific challenge. What if we all did this for the next seven days? 
okay, till the next time we're back together, every day, at some point in your day, maybe it's in the morning, you've got that like little sliver of time where the coffee's still hot and the kids aren't awake yet, <laughs> or, or whatever it may be, just pray that prayer, something like it. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. What will happen if you do that? I don't know, okay? Prayer is not a magic formula. I, I don't know exactly what will happen on the other side of that, but what I can tell you is what I've experienced when I've had the discipline and the intentionality to carve out space, when, when I've actually asked God, hey, slow me down and meet with me and, and help me see you and help me be aware of you. Do you know what happens in my life when I do that and what I think will happen to all of us if we do it over these next seven days? I think you'll discover that you can actually be present in the moment. That, that you can actually be present in the moment that you're in. And isn't it true that so many of us in so many environments, we may be physically there, but mentally, emotionally, we're like running way down to the next thing or we're still back on that thing we came from or whatever it may be. Man, we're called to be present in the moment that we've been given. It, it's actually all that we actually have. And, and we do this in the extremes of life. I, I was thinking about this. Uh, I have some friends uh, who just had their firstborn uh, baby boy and I got the opportunity to go over there and to hold him for the first time uh, pretty recently. And do you know what I didn't have in my hand when I was holding that little newborn? My phone. I wasn't like scrolling and like, hey, what else is going on, right? Because this was an amazing thing. These are my best friends in the world and it's their son. And I'm like, this happened. Like life, it's, this is amazing, right? And I was just so in that moment. And then I drove back to my house and I went back to my regular rhythms, right? I probably scrolled for a while or whatever. But in those moments of extreme joy, like we're, we're attentive to it, right? It captures us. I mentioned last week that I officiated a really hard funeral uh, in the past few weeks uh, for a little girl who tragically passed away. And while I stood there at that visitation for several hours, do you know what I didn't do? I didn't stand there and scroll. <laughs> I, I wasn't distracted by that stuff because the grief and the weight that was in the room demanded attention, e even though we weren't doing anything. Uh, we were just standing there in it together. But the most extreme moments of life do this for us. They cause us to be present here and now, and we're really supposed to do that in all of the moments. In, in all of the moments, we're called to be here and to be present now. So if you pray this prayer, I think it can help with that. I, I think it'll also help you choose what's important and eliminate what's not. And this is so difficult, okay? This is why I think prayer will help. It is so difficult to know like, okay, do I do the good thing or is there some greater thing that I need to pursue? But here's what I'd say, you might have to say no to some good things right now to know that you're saying yes to better things. And when you say no to good things right now, it really can just be for right now, for this season, for this moment that you're in. Like you don't have to do it all. And if you say no now, it doesn't mean you have to say no later. And I was thinking about this um, with my daughter Eden because when she was born, right, that changes all the rhythms of your life. And I'm lucky enough working in ministry that I have some flexibility in my schedule. And so we decided pretty early on when Ashley was going back to work that uh, I was gonna take Fridays off and that those were gonna be dada days is what we've ended up calling them. That I was home with Eden and we spent time together and you know, when she was little, it was super easy because she just laid there and I kind of just laid there and I actually got a day off. But it's not so much a day off anymore, okay? Because she's a little four-year-old, almost five-year-old ball of energy and it's like, it's a different kind of work those days, right? But, but man, th those days are about to come to an end for me just as her schedule changes and she's gonna be heading to school and I don't regret a one of them, and I'm gonna miss them, right? Because, because I said no. I, I, there's a lot of stuff I said no to. There were Fridays that I'm like, I need to work. <laughs> I got, I've got more to do than I've got time to do, 
or I need a break. Can I get an actual day off? That would be awesome. Nope, there's Eden. <laughs> or, or hey, we got to work on the house some. Like there's projects and Saturday's busy and Sunday's busy. So like Friday would work, but I'm so glad I said no to those good things. So I could say yes to the greater thing of getting those years of having dedicated time with my daughter. So maybe for you, you need to choose what's important and eliminate what's not. Again, you have time for the things you choose to have time for, and the solution is not more time. The solution is more of what matters. And finally, if you pray this prayer consistently, right, I, I think it'll help you be present in the moment. I think it'll help you know what's important and what you can eliminate. But I also think if you pray like this, you'll notice how to sense God's presence and how to recognize his voice. Because for so many of us, right, the pace that we run at, it's nothing like the pace of Jesus. And if we just go and go and go and go and go, it is so easy to miss the opportunities, the potentially divine opportunities that are right in front of all of us. And I think if you pray and you actually let God slow you down, you might start finding him in the places you've been too busy to notice. You, you might start finding him uh, when you actually think, you know what, I ought to ask a follow-up question to what they just said. Uh, or, or when you uh, begin or, or just linger in a conversation a little longer. You don't have to just rush to the next thing because you've tried to slow down, right? Uh, maybe you'll find God in that person who has been in your path every day and the route that you take to work, but you've just been so busy and so focused on other stuff, you never notice them. All of that can happen if we choose to move at the pace of Jesus. Jesus walked, and ultimately Jesus was walking to the cross, Jesus had his destination in mind from the very beginning. He had marching orders, and day after day, and step after step, and moment after moment, he fulfilled God's calling for his life, which ultimately was expressing God's deep, deep love for you and for me. And we don't just embrace the truth that he taught. We want to live and love the way that he lived and loved. And I just, like for a second, can you imagine with me, if in an angry and divided and hurting world, what if there was a loving and caring and united church that was moving at a pace slow enough that we might see the people around us who are far from God. That we might actually see them, we might actually have time for them, and we might actually be able to connect with them. Here's the thing, if you're following Jesus, your life is going somewhere. And it's going the same place that Jesus' life went, ultimately laying down your life for something bigger than yourself. Ultimately laying down your life for something so much more important. And the way to get that perspective, the answer, it is not more time. It is more of what matters because you and I have time for the things we choose to have time for. Let me pray for you. God, I think we all see this. I think we know it. I think we feel the effects of it in our lives, but it is so difficult to go against the tide. It is so difficult to slow down and not think that we're lazy or entitled or privileged or I don't know what it is. But God, I just pray that you would give us the courage to actually pray this prayer for the next seven days, to actually ask you to slow us down enough that we might be able to deeply connect with you and deeply connect with the people that you've put in our path. God, for the parents in the room who are getting ready for a school year and they're trying to figure out what this season looks like, God, give them wisdom to know what is most important, that they can choose what to say yes to and choose where to eliminate. And God, for all of us, may we have some margin in our schedules that we might actually hear from you, that we might actually live at your pace and in living in your pace that we might experience presence in the moment and connection with you. God, let it be so in our lives. We pray all of that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. 
If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.